ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. The remote Aboriginal community of Balgo, Wiramanu, sits on the southern edge of the Tanami Desert in Western Australia's East Kimberley, just 100 kilometres from the Northern Territory border. Balgo is south of Halls Creek in the Kimberleys, yeah. Balgo, Wiramanu. If you drive just a bit further south, down rugged tracks, you'll hit the great sandy desert of rolling red sand dunes. It's harsh, but exquisitely beautiful country. But life in Balgo is tough. When petrol stopped, then ganja came in. Now damaging all the kids' brains. Ganja make us worry. All those statistics you hear about the gap between Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal people, here it's not so much a gap as a gaping chasm, especially when it comes to mental health. Why should I keep asking the government the same thing? Like I, I always tell people that listening and hearing is two different things. You know, whether you listen to these people or you're not really hearing them. I'm Iyuki Okiranta. This is Earshot and the last episode in our Remember Me series. Producer Kirsty Melville has spent much of the last year living in Balgo and she's found a community in crisis screaming to be remembered. And a warning, this story talks about confronting issues like drug use and suicide. So take care when listening. Balbo! With the desert mob! Put your hands to the sky! Propped up in a dusty corner of Balgo's youth centre are 18 car bonnets. But they're not your usual spare parts. In this footy-mad community, home of the legendary Balgo Tigers, each bonnet's been beautifully painted for an AFL team, a striking red and white Indigenous design for my team, the Sydney Swans, purple and white for the chief artist Gary Nami's team, the Fremantle Dockers. But we were worried about the Eagles at the bottom of the ladder. It's sad. No, it's not sad. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Fremantle goes up, all the way up, so it would have been the fine. That's round the corner. Much like Balgo, these dusty bonnets once held the hope of something greater. It was a project to bring people together after the loss of several young people to suicide in 2019. The community was talking to the AFL about displaying the bonnets at the MCG as part of the Indigenous round. Hopes were high, but then COVID hit. Then, the house where they were being stored burnt down. We saw the house was burning. The bonnets got to be burned. And then they dragged them out and they got a bit damaged? Yeah, a little bit of scratch. Gary has fixed the bonnets, but the dream of having these unique pieces of footy art making their way to Melbourne seems to have faded to nothing. I don't know when they're going to get ready to take it down to Melbourne. I don't know when. Was it disappointing when that didn't happen? No answer. That's it. Like their creators, the painted car bonnets have been through the wars. They tell a story of resilience, of unrealised dreams. Halfway down that tunnel track, that's where the Battle boys be at. From the hills to the lake, this land is great. Me and my boys hunt every day. There's not much in Balgo, 
One store, a brilliant arts centre, a Catholic school, beautiful new pool, but a dilapidated basketball court, gravel footy ground, ouch, and the saddest playground I've ever seen. About 400 people live in this former mission, six different language groups forced together by colonisation. English is the second, third or even fourth language. And this is where it becomes a hard story to tell. Amongst the desert mob, Balgo is renowned for a few things, footy, art and fighting. For much of this year, Balgo's been in turmoil, erupting in deep conflict between top and bottom camp. Iron bars, axes and fierce words are thrown. Cars have turned into weapons. Some kids won't go to school because they think the other side will be waiting for them outside after school. They go shop. You've got the other side waiting at the shop. You go clinic. There's the other side waiting. And you don't know who to trust. Like a sleep, you have kids running wild, and then you hear things, and then you see things. And... They're hungry. My grandkids are hungry. All our kids are hungry because the mothers can't go to the shop. Do they get frightened? Yeah, they get frightened too. Balgo is a community I love deeply and one I've been part of since my partner moved here to run the Wiramanu Aboriginal Corporation 15 months ago. And it's heartbreaking to watch this happen. Earlier today, someone was hit by a car during the fights and a few families are hiding at home, fearing retribution. I've come up to what's known as Top Camp to bring some food to Auntie Dulcie Nanala. Dulcie. I just, I've got this on, but I just want to see if you're okay. I'm right. You're keeping safe? Yeah, we're safe. It's hard for me because my families are fighting and other families every morning. How can we solve this problem? How? It's very hard. The place and the people we're worried about. How can we solve it? You know her? It's CEO's wife, Pangaja. Dulcie's begging her family to talk about it. You worried about your family? Well, say something. Now, not we don't want to talk about it. I know, I feel hurt. But we all feel hurt, you know? This thing got to stop. But how can we stop it? Some of these kids are my grandkids. How can we stop it? We have to go back to our country. No people power, that's why. Yeah. yeah Everyone's just feeling a bit traumatised. Yeah. Hey? yeah. It's hard to know what the right thing to do yeah, is. Yeah, right it? thing to do and how to solve this problem. Mm. Same to the police too, they think it's hard too. Yesterday, the sergeant was crying on the brenda. Some of my kids came and said, Ja, 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 Jangala's crying, Jangala, your son. The policeman, he said. He was just sitting down, putting his head down. Tell are you crying? Yes, I am worried about this fighting. What's going to stop? I know jungle is very hard for us all. It's the young people. You know what? I can't begin to understand the currents that run deep here. 
exactly what triggers long-standing feuds or sparks new fighting, but I can see the trauma that fuels it, neglected for generations. This is the fallout. It's what you're teaching the kids. Well, I'm just wondering, like, you know, the impact of that sort of anxiety that builds when you hear this. And then it, become, and then it becomes mental breakdowns. People will be always on edge, yeah, looking over their shoulder, who's coming, who's with the kids. You go into the footy oval or something, and then you see a car drive past, and you're not sure whether to run. You know, I don't know how to tackle it, because we try talking to both sides. I just say, I'll do something, and if they like what I'm doing, they'll follow. <laughs> so this was all sacred ground until the missionaries. But that's another story. This is George Lee doing what he loves best, standing on the breathtaking red cliffs of the breakaway country, sharing the creation story of the Gukutu people, that of the Lunpa, the sacred kingfisher. The lookout has some stories of the Lunpa, where it got my people out of the ground, breathed life into them, taught them, opened their eyes, ears, taught them everything about language, customs, culture, kinship, everything. And that's why I call this the airstrip, because after here, he flew from here to Lake Mackay to teach other people, and then come back to make sure that the people were okay here, flew from here and now rests at Ayers Rock. Each song line is just a, like a string, but we only know this one. We can only talk for this. We can't talk for the whole string. Where does it start? Starts here and go finishes there. <laughs> <laughs> we can go from here and have lunch on the other side. Why you do it? You! My dad, you do! Why you do Go in the desert, mob. Put your hands in the sky. Give me that beat. Halfway down that ten of my track. That's when I let go of George grew up in Balgo, and his life encapsulates so many of the issues here. He's seen the petrol sniffing days. He's lost friends and family to suicide. He did time in prison as a young man, and now he's growing up his grandkids. It's an Aboriginal community, so I'm sure every, most Aboriginal communities know what it's like. For me, growing up, my father passed away when I was two, I think. Mum was a strong woman, but a human being. She'd fall down, get back up, teach me most things I know now. But like any young fellas, I didn't sometimes listen to him. Were you a naughty boy, George? Um... A bit like Robin Hood, steal from the rich and give to the poor. Borrow a car and not bring it back. I got locked up for a while, and then you realise what's important. And you're, you're growing up your grandkids now? Yeah, working with the DCP, Child Protection. They were going to be removed. Seven years later, they're still with us. Hopefully another 11 years and then they're out of here. <laughs> But history is always repeating itself with uh, my father being taken away and the trauma that he had. He was part of that stolen generation. And I just 
after changing my ways, I didn't want to see anyone grow up with that trauma because it has a ripple effect. So how old are the grandkids that you're growing up? One is seven and one is 13. Big boy's going to boarding school, but he's one of those special kids, fetal, fasty. Fasty, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Yeah. He has that. He has that, but he tries. And I keep telling him, one day you'll be this. If you have a picture of what you want to be, just keep doing it. Balgo is where the gap between black and white reveals its deepest scars. People die far too young. Jobs are scarce. Housing, appalling. School attendance, less than 50%. Sometimes as low as 20. The list of needs is overwhelming. A safe house for women. Early childhood education, parenting support, meaningful work, too many needs to name. But one of the biggest gaps is sustained and consistent mental health support. Every few years, a wave of youth suicide hits the community like a tsunami, the ripples never ending. Everyone here in Balgo has been touched. 15 years ago, four young men died by suicide, the youngest just 13. It sparked a coronial inquest. I was horrified years ago when I read the reports of these suicides. But when I reread them now, my blood runs cold. I know every family. And suddenly, everything I see unfolding is cast in a different light. In 2019, there were more. When we were going through that, I was chairperson of the community. And it's hard because if it was anywhere else, if it was a town, it would have been helped. But because we're so far away from the vein, I call the vein the highway, you know, and we're off, long way off it. And all these suicide prevention stuff all comes out. We tell people that it's gonna end this way and nobody listen. People in power who could have stopped these always wait till it explodes. I get emotional when I'm, because it's losing these young fellas. They were all young, you know? Family blame each other, everybody blame each other. Now people use it as a, the word, I'm gonna hang myself. They don't have their way, now they say that to their parents. I know it's hard, but you need to listen. It's not just tension-seeking when somebody says that. They're actually asking you for help. You know, they want you to sit down and talk to them. But more often than not, there's no one here to listen. There's not one single mental health professional based in Balgo. A bunch of organisations run programs, but they're all fly-in, fly-out from Broome or Kununurra and are only here for a few days a month. Not enough support. To me, it's no help. You can't build a relationship coming in here two or three days or one week or two weeks and then go for a month or two and then come back. People are trying, but it's usually not followed up, you know. 
It's just hard because the people on the ground have no resources. People don't have mental health issues just on the two days yes, that someone... Yeah, you're right. It's an ongoing thing. For that person, it's, it's everyday life. It's like band-aiding things, you know. Some people fall through the cracks. That's why you've got to continually help. What I've seen here is often the workers will come in and community will be quite calm and people might be okay, and then they leave, and then there's a crisis. Hmm. Just the nurses and the families. Police also get called out, oh, we've got somebody else stressing us, trying to hang herself or himself. You know, and what do you do? What do you do? You just keep doing what you know that can work. That's a lot of pressure on family members, isn't it? <sighs> yeah, you know, a lot of pressure. I've heard stories here that would make your hair stand on end. Most I can't share. A family threatening to break a nephew's leg so he can get flown out to hospital, which might get him the mental health support he needs. A man with voices in his head threatening suicide with no acute care available and the clinic limited with what it can do doing its best. You break a leg, you have a chest pains. A couple hours later, you're on the plane headed out. You've got more chance of flying out if you've got a broken leg or a broken arm. Not so for mental health care. I sometimes, with the work that I do at the clinic, they come and talk to me and that's all I do. I just sit, listen, be that person until everything calms down. The police, the clinic, my partner, the youth program and arts centre coordinators, but mostly the families. They all pick up the slack and bear people's pain. There's no shortage of organisations coming through Balgo. In fact, sometimes it's even comical, the merry-go-round of new initiatives brought in from outside community. Some are excellent, some not so much. Most not talking to each other. I've counted at least eight this year, each with its own small bucket of money, the program ending if funding runs out. And yet, nothing much seems to change. Years and years, generations of this. It's no wonder the community is cynical and disengaged. They come with their own thing to tick their box. People wonder why you don't trust people. Ah, oh, it's just the courier coming in. Oh, man, left. Yeah, they just here to tick their box and go home. They're not building relationships with community. You're not really spending time with them. Imagine if funding was pulled into one strong, consistent wraparound program, one that built long-term relationships and trust. The community tells me it's sick of having things done to it from the outside, not with it from the inside. But there's a long history of that. To understand the complex social landscape of Balgo, 
you have to remember its beginnings. And so I head out on country looking for sand frogs with Auntie Dulcie. It's hot work, all that digging. The frogs burrow deep into the sand for the long dry season. You will dig around the tree to get frogs. You can tell you're getting close when you find moist clumps of dirt and then you hear it. A long, hard squeeze milks it of its urine. <laughs> it's funny every time. Yeah. <laughs> Eating the sand frogs is good medicine for cold sick. And I've yet to try one. They're always snaffled before I can get my hands on it. But apparently they taste like chicken. My name is Dolce Nenala. I'm from Belgo, Wirimanu. That's my home. How old were you when you learnt how to do this, Dolph? Seven or eight, I used to go with my mother. mother. I used to sit next to her and see how she was digging, how to dig frogs. That's why I learned how to dig frogs. And when you say you were coming out here when you were a little girl, were you coming here from... From the dormitories. Old Belgo? Yeah, old Belgo, from the old Belgo. Not this one, this one, new one, Wirimano. It was called Belgo Mission. Old Balgo was set up by German missionaries in 1939, about 20 kilometres from the current community. It's a ghost town now, stone skeletons of dormitories that house children from the many neighbouring language groups. Yeah, I used to live in the dormitory, me and my friend Sadie. Where was your family living? They had humpies. They were living in humpies. And we went to the dormitories. We were allowed not to go back to our parents. It was strict. We might get hiding when we go down to them, to the little humpies here from the nuns, you know. Same to the boys. The brothers used to look after them. It was hard. The only time we see our parents was Christmas Day. We had to go down and have time with them and go back to dormitories before probably 8 o'clock. Anyway. This was a stolen generation of a different kind. The dormitory system here was one of the last in Australia to exist. Kids were housed and schooled in exchange for rations. Many of the people who live in Balgo walked in from the desert with their parents, or their parents did, or their grandparents. My parents, everybody's parents, they are all from the bush that way. They all walked into the mission. Why did they walk in? Because some of the people from Belgo went back to the bush and told them, oh, there's Gadia with Mangari food, you know? So they all walked into the mission. My father walked from the desert and my mum walked to the mission. While they were there, my father and mum were working. My father used to look after the sheep. When one sheep was missing, he was frightened. He yeah. was being treated badly. Yeah, he ran back to bush because father was must be too rough on him, asking, oh, did you eat that sheep? That's why my fa- my real father went back to the bush and had those another nine kids in the bush and now my other brothers and sisters from the last people came to give it to my brothers and sisters from my father. The Pintupi Nine? Yeah, the Pintupi Nine, they're my family. Wow. 
Yeah. You away? Yes, the last known Aboriginal people to walk in off the desert to the Kiwakura community in 1984 were Dulcie's brothers and sisters. First contact is a living, breathing memory here. Like all colonisation stories, this is a deep and complex one with its fair share of dark history. Here's George Lee again. The church would come, oh, we're here to save the souls of the Aboriginal people. People already knew God. All people already had customs, had law. And then all of a sudden you get and come in and close your eyes, bow down while we steal your land, steal your kids. My father, they told my grandmother, oh, we're taking him shopping and he'll be back. So he went on a 21-year-old shopping trip. Once I heard that, I didn't trust white people because of what they did to my father or what he missed out on. He missed out on his own culture. He missed out on his own language. What I saw in mum and what I saw in pictures of what happened to him kind of put me off, you know? You look at it and you think, did that really happen? You know? That's why I always, when I'm really pissed off with things, I'd always ask the white man, Kadia will always know what's good for a black fella. What do you think is right? I don't know, you will go ask the Kadia. They know what's good for a black fella. When the mission was devolved in 1984, the community was essentially handed over from one paternalistic body to another, church to state. The handover was inadequate. Time wasn't spent building local capacity and really never has. Wounds festered. And here we are today, out hunting frogs with Dulcie and talking about the troubles back in town. So what kind of issues do the young people have today that you didn't have when you were growing up? First, in Belgo there was petrol. Petrol first damaged their brain for young people. They were sleeping under those caves where the goats used to stay. They were camping there. They had bottles like this in the cave full of petrol because their fathers and mothers were going to town, staying in town for good, you know, never come back to look after their kids. That's why the kids used to come in, break at night. They go around like a flying bat, stealing petrol from other people's home, you know, and fill them up in a bottle and take them back to that cave. And some of those kids were having suicide. One hang himself at the art centre, one hang himself in the school. Um, are you talking about a long time ago, 15 years ago? Mostly 15 years ago, yeah. A lot of pain for the family and for us, losing our young boys. And now this other disease came in, that's ganja. Ganja, of course, is marijuana. And kids always say, oh, there's medicine in town. What's medicine? I said, yukuri, they say, yukuri. That's the word, medicine, that fixed their brains. Make us worry. I'm saying in my language, we all got the same problem. If they don't have ganja, they get more stress. Stressing us too, mothers and grandmothers, you know? 
Money, where's the money? Money don't grow in trees. That's what I say to my kids. I have to work for my money by art, working at the art center. How many people live in your house? I see there's me, my five grandchildren and my three sons and my another from another sister's son's house full. And I have to have food in the house, struggle to get that feed, you know, like the flour, power cart, and munju to keep me comfortable. It seems to the other women, but they're too shy to talk, huh? but they talk to me. You get humbug from your family for yeah, money? Yeah, I get humbug from my family. But I always say, wait till Friday comes around. What's Friday? Friday is my pay money, art money. Money story. <laughs> money story, you know. Right? And I say, kids, my kids, to stay home, I'll put something on your account. It might be 200 or $100 for you. And they're happy. How do you feel when you give the money? I feel happy. Do you? Yeah, I feel happy because my kids are happy that they got their money in their account. Is there much opportunity for them to get jobs in Balgo? It's hard for them to get a job because of the ganja damaging their brains. But the reality is there aren't many jobs anyway. A few at the health clinic, a few at the school, and it's hard to get qualifications unless you leave. The Wallayidi Art Centre, where Dulcie paints her exquisite work, is another. It's a haven the cultural heartbeat of the community, where the artists do what they love while earning money, away from the fighting. But for kids, it's hard to dream big when there's not much to aspire to and when there are so many hurdles to leap. Hey, hey, Kulilea. We need help for the mental kids, you know. We've got a lot of mental kids in Belgo and some mental people don't come and talk to us, you know, about help our boys or children, girls. But they're not around in the community. I don't know who they are from Broom. Not good enough. What you do gonna do? <laughs> He's worried for me. Now, Ganyan Bolo, you have a problem, Bolo. You have a Gigi, Bolo. Ganyan Bolo, you have a problem. You have a Ganja, a Gigi, a problem. I talk too much. Not good enough. Dulcie's words echo, like the trauma in their bones. I started this story by asking people if they'd ever talked to a counsellor. I got a lot of strange looks and I realised pretty quickly I had it all wrong. I was approaching it from a guttier, a white fella perspective. And that's the nub of the problem. There's an alarming cultural disconnect. Guttier models of care just don't work in a remote desert community. You gotta build that relationship with the families to see what is needed. What is needed will come out from what the family thinks instead of somebody sitting in Canada or Broome or Perth when the people on the ground know what it's like. Some families are afraid of it or ashamed of it when you're trying to help people and you try and explain to them, oh, tomorrow I'll take you to the clinic 
we can talk about this. Some of them will automatically say, no, nah, I'm not going to the clinic. I don't want people to think I'm, I've got a mental problem. It all comes down whether people trust you or not. You know, that's what they think, they're going to take my kids away. Just got to keep showing up. And someone who's already into the community, already built that relationship, who understands cultural protocol, not career protocol, two rules. My people could have saying yes, yeah, I'll be there or we'll be there, but they're not going to do it because they know you're not going to be sitting on the ground with them. You're going to be still sitting up there on your chair. You know? This is Balgo, where deep ancient culture collides with deep modern trauma. Its riches and darknesses only reveal themselves with time by getting off that chair, sitting down in the red dirt and listening. Politicians and bureaucrats usually fly in and out within the day. There's just no way the pressures of living here can penetrate in that short time. No way you can understand, culturally, what's needed. Meanwhile, the fighting comes and the fighting goes. The kids see it, act out, and the trauma cycle continues. The answer? I don't have one. But I do know our best chance is remembering and hearing the people on the ground. People like George Lee. We ask for resources, we ask for help. Long before this happened, we tried to tell the government. Before it get, oh, we haven't got the resources, we haven't got the money, and then it erupts. Too late. I told you. I told you earlier how you can help the community, but you didn't listen. Government will always put a price on somebody's life. Oh, it costs too much to do this, but we can do this. And it just breaks, breaks until it snaps. People only focus on what's bad. Oh, there's fighting. Oh, how do we stop the fight? We put more money in there. One day, forget the fight. There's a lot of good youth services programs happening. Let's put money in there. And then slowly that might die out. I know it's hard to say that, watching people fight and everything. Community need to stand up. Find that peace through culture. Going out, getting to know who you are, getting to know your tree. Tree as in your family, your culture, your country, which tree you belong to. It's how you put shade on people, how you look after people. But like you're saying, remember, don't forget. Don't forget remote communities. Be a leader for our kids. We are the present, we are the future. Being jealous, that's unsuited. Boys to men, culture strong. Listen to our elders, listen to our songs. Think about your culture, think about your life. Brother, sister, husband, wife. Man, get on by, keep on too. Remember Balgo was produced by Kirsty Melville. The sound engineer was David LeMay. 
And this track you're listening to was recorded by Indigenous Hip Hop Projects with the Balgo community. And if you're interested in hearing more from Balgo, we've got a bonus episode in our podcast feed. It's all about the NDIMs and how Aboriginal people with a disability living in remote communities are lagging far, far behind the rest of the country. And finally, a heads up that our sister show, The History Listen, is looking for story ideas. If you love history and have a cracker tale that could work for audio, then send us your pitch. We're looking for compelling stories with a strong narrative, which open new windows onto the past. There's a link to the pitch form at the bottom of the History Listen webpage, and you have until September 30th to get your idea in. So get thinking. I'm Miyuki Okiranta. This is Earshot. Thanks for listening. Conversations. Spend an hour in the life of someone else. Suddenly I found the rope back under my armpit again. I came back in this rush. I'm I'm having a seizure. Someone who has seen and done remarkable things. My mom, my sister and I, we were all sleeping on that bed together. At the baseboard of the bed, there was an iguana. Follow on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts.